0: Welcome to the Golf Life Faith Podcast. Uh, my name is Toby Ragland, and I have my co-host Jace Barber here with me. Hey Jace, everybody. how are you doing?
1: Doing great. Here in Jacksonville with our buddy Philip Knowles, having a good time. So,
0: and I am sitting in Wichita, Kansas, uh, here for the Corn Ferry event this week, and we'll uh, sub in for Corky Kemp for the Tour Fellowship uh, tonight, uh, teaching through First Peter three. But today we have an exciting guest, uh, a staff highlight um, from CGF. One of the things that the young staff at CGF talk about is when we think about longevity of doing ministry, uh, the guys that have gone before us with CGF that are still at the helm, um, our three main executive staff guys, Steve Burdick, Stephen Bunn, and Brad Payne. We look up to those guys so much and love seeing how Um, faithful they are to the gospel in the world of college golf and today we have the pleasure of talking to steve burdick steve welcome to the golf life faith podcast
2: thank you so much pleasure
0: well steve you've been on staff with cgf since 2001 Uh, you've seen a lot of um, growth since then and um, you are in sacramento california Uh, give us kind of a a picture of your years of college golf, uh, playing at Stanford.
2: Yeah, I was, uh, I grew up in Northern California and my dream was always to play college golf. And I was fortunate enough to get offered a scholarship to play at Stanford university, which was a dream come true. And that was in 1991, a long time ago. Um, but, uh, I came in as a freshman with high expectations and, um, Quickly found college golf to be very difficult. <laughs> I didn't uh, didn't qualify for a tournament the entire fall semester of my freshman year, which was humbling. And um, and I think then the pressure just kind of rose. And then uh, ended up finally qualifying for a tournament in the spring semester. And um, and that was off and running. Didn't miss another tournament until my senior year, believe it or not. But uh, had a really successful career at Stanford. Was an All American my sophomore year. Our team won the national championship my junior year. And then this guy named Tiger Woods came in my senior year and I uh, had a lot of fun getting to play with him.
1: Mm, tell us yes, a, tell us incredible. a little bit about that. You know, you can you <laughs> just you say Tiger Woods and then you just breeze by it.
2: That's um, my claim to fame. Yeah. I get to say I taught Tiger Woods everything he knows about the game of golf and he took it very seriously and went on to have a very successful career. So really he owes <laughs> it all to me as a wily veteran at, at Stanford and took him under his wing. Now this guy was unbelievable. He was crazy to um to think that i got to play a year with him and watch how he hit the golf ball it just made a different sound when it came off of his club i mean this is back obviously in early 90s when we were still playing Titleist a lot of golf balls and the Taylor made tour preferred drivers and and literally the the head of a driver was like a five wood today and uh and 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 to see him flying at 320 yards back then with that kind of equipment it was it was crazy i mean at that time if you hit it 280 you were long, and he was literally longer than long, and and um, just it was fun. I mean, obviously, he had just come off winning three U.S. juniors, and then he won his first U.S. amateur at Sawgrass. If anybody remembers um, that against Trip Keeney, he was six down after the first eighteen holes, and literally his dad tells him after that first eighteen, "Son, let the legend grow." And uh, he went back to come back, and and uh, ended up winning. Um, if anybody remembers the uh, shot on the 17th hole at TPC sawgrass that should have gone in the water, but stopped on the fringe. And then of course he makes that putt and with the big fist pump, um, went on to win his first us amateur. so that was literally what launched him into his golf career at Stanford. Wow. And, um, the funny part of the whole story is, like I said before, we won the national championship the year before tiger got there and actually had a chance to win back-to-back national championships. And uh, Tiger actually missed a putt on the last hole that led us into a playoff with Oklahoma State, and uh, and they beat us in a playoff. Um, so we act like to say that Tiger made our team worse when when he got there. <laughs> and uh, I have one thing that he doesn't have, which is an NCAA team championship. I know he has an indi- individual championship, but you know we all know that the the team championship is more important than than the uh, individual stuff. So yeah, wow. so yeah, we, we 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 like to make fun of Tiger. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He's probably laughing too, counting his brilliance.
2: Yep, yep. I'll tell you another funny story about Tiger too. So he comes in to Stanford his freshman year, again, coming off the USAM championship. We come off our national championship from the year before. And I also got to play with Nota Begay, who many know that name. He was the first Native American to ever win on the PGA Tour, won four times. And now he's a commentator for Golf Channel. I got to play with uh, with uh, Casey Martin, who was the guy who sued the PGA Tour to get to use a golf carts and – and uh, just recently, actually had his leg amputated due to that. He's now the golf coach at University of Oregon. Um, so two amazing players. They came in the year before I was at Stanford, and then I got to come in. And then they redshirted um, after their sophomore year so they could actually have a chance to play with Tiger because had they played just four straight years, they would have missed Tiger. So they knew that Tiger was – Considering coming to Stanford, so they, in preparation for that, redshirted. So the crazy thing was that, again, we ended up winning the national championship before Tiger got there. Uh, But then when Tiger came in, Noda literally tells Tiger, first day shows up, hey, Tiger, I know you're really good, but we're really good, too. And you're going to carry our luggage to the airport, and you're going to sleep on the rollaway bed, just like all freshmen do. So Tiger kind of laughed and said, okay, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I'll do that as long as uh, I only have to do it until I win my first college golf tournament. So we're like, well, okay, that's fair, you know. So here we are. We're we're going to to our first tournament and uh, and Tiger's literally taking all of our luggage out of the van at the airport, putting it on the tarmac, you know, carrying everything. I mean, it was hilarious. We're just piling him with everything as we're just kind of watching him. And while he's doing that, I kid you not, people are coming over, is that Tiger Woods? Can I get your autograph, Tiger? So he's like dropping, dropping all of our luggage and and signing autographs, picking up our luggage, taking a few more steps, signing another autograph, and then lugging it through the uh, through the airport. And so there we were off and running to our first tournament out in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, and, and I, I can't remember exactly what Tiger shot, but I think he shot like 67, 68, 66 wins his first college tournament right out of the shoot. And that was the only time he was carrying our luggage. So, but I can say that tiger did That's carry my luggage and see. I'm going to stick to it <laughs> good play on his part. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like yeah. he shot less than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the he best part is he did.
1: knew that he was going to do that. He's like, yeah, yes, yeah. I will absolutely <laughs> yeah. carry your bags. That's
2: <laughs> no problem. <laughs> yeah. He ended up, yeah. He wins his first tournament. I think he won his third tournament as well. Uh, We went out to Alabama, um, played at at Shoal Creek. And that was a crazy story, too, because we literally show up there at Shoal Creek. And I think at the time, they didn't have any African-American members. And so there was a lot of hype about Tiger coming in, and he shouldn't play in this tournament because they didn't let African-Americans play that golf course. And so there was like picketers out in front of the golf course. And it was crazy because Tiger, when he'd show up at a golf tournament now, this is college golf. He had a press conference at every tournament and, you know, we would go play our practice round and he'd be getting interviewed. And he was like, you know, it's something that you just, you didn't have press conferences at college golf tournaments back in that day. And so now all the hoopla, all the craziness, you know, all these people picketing Shoal Creek, picketing Tiger, don't go play, don't go play. And he handled it pretty well. And so he shows up at Shoal Creek and then, ended up shooting like 69, 67, 65 and wins that tournament, you know, just blowing the field away. I think he won by like eight shots. And um, you know, it was just crazy to watch how good he really was. And, uh, and then we go to our last tournament in the fall of our, of, of that year. And we're out in Hilton head, South Carolina. And uh, again, he shoots 66 70 and he's leading the tournament And I was actually in second place behind him. I shot 68, 70. So still to this day, I hadn't beaten Tiger. And in the last round at Hilton Hill, South Carolina, he hits it into a bush on the 17th hole and could not get it out. He makes a 10 on that hole and shot 80 in the final round. His first over par round as a college golfer. And yes, I came in with a 73 and waxed him. So it was nice (laughs) to say that I have beat Tiger in one college golf tournament. So that's my claim to fame. (laughs) That's a good claim to fame. These stories are so
1: good and you're not going to get them anywhere else. A great job. Uh,
2: No problem. Absolutely. You know, the other fun thing about being at Stanford, it's known as being a pretty culturally diverse place. And so when, uh, when, when we actually got to compete at the national championship, uh, my junior year, um, we had Casey Martin, who was a handicapped American. We had, no to Begay, who was a native american we had a guy named will yanagisawa who was japanese american and then we had me i was literally the boring white guy and they kind of made fun of me because i was like the only guy that didn't have some crazy background and then of course tiger comes in as the african-american with thai heritage and so it was like here we were this great multicultural team who was going to go you know win their back-to-back national championships and, and 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 all the hoopla and um the unfortunate thing, you know, for my own journey, um, I ended up getting to the very end of my senior year and, um, you know, watching Tiger hit shots and watching how far he hit the ball, it was just, like, crazy. And I think it got into my head because he would go play in a tour event after literally doing what he did in college golf and finish 45th in a, in a tour event. And we would be like, how in the world is this guy this good? And he'd go play in a tour event and, and, and literally wasn't even in competition. I mean, obviously he made cuts, which is still impressive as a freshman in college but still we were watching him going this guy is better than anything i could ever hope to be and that kind of gets into your head and you start thinking okay i got to hit it farther i got to hit it perfect i mean he'd be hitting four irons and flying at 240 stopping it behind a bunker over a hazard you know like i just don't have that shot you know i'm rolling up my 3 wood from 240 and hoping i get it close to the green and and uh, and he's just flying a 4 iron past my 3 wood and um so anyways with all that being said you know we had a great fall semester and you know i told you we i think we won four out of our five tournaments that fall and we were the number one ranked team in the country all these articles written about this this best golf team ever assembled we had four returning all-americans tiger comes in nobody's beating us blah 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 and i think it just kind of got to my own head and 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 really was kind of difficult as we started our spring semester um, i just started struggling with my own golf game i started you know, hitting it left and right. I, before I knew it, I was losing confidence. I think anybody that has ever played golf knows how golf is a game of confidence. And, uh, and when you start struggling like that, you know, you just wonder like, what the heck is going on? And, um, and really my game just started to spiral and, uh, it was, it was really difficult to, um, to even tee it up. Cause I, I think I got to the point where I would admit now it was probably a drive yips. And I just, I was probably the straightest hitter on our team. I literally never missed fairways. I was, wasn't the super long guy, but I was a guy who hit it straight kept in the fairways, hit a lot of greens, shoot a lot of 70s, 71s. And, um, and I wasn't the guy that was going to go shoot 63s, but, but I was a guy who literally could, could, um, could at least consistently come in and be counted. And, uh, and now it was like, I couldn't break 80 and it was just like horrible. And, um, and really all of that led to this place where, you know, I, I, I didn't, I was afraid to play golf and, and that's a, that's a scary place to be. And, um, I'll never forget my coach, like taking me into his office right after the pack tens of my senior year and just saying, Hey, Steve, I know, um, you played in every tournament since your freshman year, you've been an all American help us win a national championship next year, but I just, I have to leave you home. I can't take you to, to regionals or nationals this year. And so. That was just like a punch in the gut. You know, I just couldn't believe how how uh, this was how my senior year was going to end. And I'll just remember walking out of my coach's office, just head hung low, um, really almost depressed. Of just like, really? This is how my senior year is going to end? And um, I never forget, like driving into the, the hills behind the Stanford campus and just crying out to God because I didn't know where else to turn. Just praying and saying, Lord, why is this? the end of my college golf career. Is this what's what it's all about? And um and I remember just sitting on the edge of the road, pulled out my Bible because that's really the only thing I knew that was a firm foundation to go to during that time. And um pulled out a Bible verse that I had remembered that the Lord kind of brought back to my attention. And he, it says this it says Proverbs three five insists, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. And, and I didn't know what the future held at that point, but I knew God held my future. Um, but really, what happened in that moment is I flash back to a moment in my senior year in high school. You see, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I didn't have a faith background, and I um, I really had very little exposure to what the gospel was all about, which is which is this good news that God tells us about in His Bible. And um, I had grown up being a pretty good kid, and I. Had you know maybe gone to church a few times in my life on Christmas and Easter and thought if I was a good enough person and and I and I you know did enough good stuff that God would accept me and and so I believed in God but I had no idea that there was more to this Christianity thing than just morality and um and I had just signed my scholarship with Stanford and I never forget this there was a youth pastor of this church that I sporadically had gone to and he took me out to lunch one day and he asked me this question he said Steve. If all your success with golf, if all your success in the world, you've been really good at school. You got the scholarship to Stanford. You've been great at golf. If all of that success was taken away from the world's perspective, would you still be content with your life? And I was like blown away by that question because I was honest with myself. I, I, I just looked at him and I said, no, my whole identity, my whole worth, my whole value that I placed on myself was, all, was about being good, was about being successful, was about performance. It was about getting straight A's. It was about winning golf tournaments. It was about going to the best college to get the best degree, to be able to make the most money. And that was everything that I was defining my worth on. And my identity was defined by success and performance. And he just looked at me and he goes, well, if you'd like to find out what the Bible has to say about what true contentment in this world about, let's just start hanging out. I'll just love to open up the Bible with you and start unpacking what that looks like. And I looked at this 25-year-old youth pastor that in the world's perspective had nothing. And yet he had more peace and more contentment than I had. And I wanted what he had. And so I was so blown away by that, that I just said, okay, let's do it. Let's hang out. And we started hanging out once a week and we just started opening up God's word for the first time. And he started showing me who Jesus was and how Jesus had come into this world to reveal who God was to mankind. And um, and I quickly started to see the things that Jesus did, the ways that he proved he was in fact who God said he was. And he was indeed the son of God come to earth to make God known. And then I was blown away by this guy who lived a perfect life, who was then willing to go to the cross and sacrifice his own life on our behalf and be willing to pay the debt that my sin deserved and not only did he die in my place as a substitute, but then he rose from the dead three days later to prove he was in fact who he said he was. And, and I was blown away. I, I, I kind of had heard that growing up, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but I had no idea what that meant. And all of a sudden, the Lord kind of opened up my eyes, opened up my heart, opened up my mind to understand that this was for me, that he had died to show me his love and that he wanted a relationship with me. And, and I'll never forget placing my trust in the person work of Jesus and, and receiving the forgiveness of my sins, receiving the eternal life that he offered me. And for the first time, I think I understood what that peace that transcends all understanding meant, that I was able to actually be made right and be connected to God relationally. And, and that's what brought true contentment in this world. And And that youth pastor, you know, still this day, I'm so thankful because not only did he stop there, but he started to disciple me in my faith too. And, he, and he, he said, this is how the gospel plays itself out in your life. And so every week we just continue to read different books of the Bible and we'd understand, we'd memorize scripture together. And just, I was blown away that this is actually has application for every single area of my life and every decision that I was going to make. And so really, he just laid such a firm foundation in my life during my senior year of high school that four years later, when that decision that my coach made to bench me, Yeah, it was devastating. Yes, it was difficult. Yes, it was probably one of the most difficult things I've ever gone through in terms of humility and frustration and not really what I wanted. But I am so thankful that my identity and my contentment was not defined by my performance on the golf course anymore, that I could actually trust the personal work of Jesus, that he had a better plan for my life than even I had for myself. And so as I sat there in my car, you know, sitting there as a senior in college, devastated by my golf game, I was reminded as he was kind of through the power of the holy spirit just saying hey just trust me i've got a better plan for you than you even have imagined and i had no idea at that time that i'd ever become a pastor or become you know work in full-time ministry let alone work for a ministry to college and professional golfers and so it's just so cool how as i look back on it now and i go wow god knew even back then how he was preparing me how he was transforming me, how he was building my character how he was teaching me to trust him even some very difficult times in my life and just preparing me for a life of ministry. And now I get to share that story with other college and professional golfers and Hey, I know what it's like to have success. I've been there. I've won golf tournaments, I've had a lot of success. And I also know what failures like, and I know what it's like to have the driver yips. And I know what it's like to like be scared to tee it up and to be able to say, you know what, there's a God who loves you unconditionally, not based upon your performance out there, who just wants to walk with you through the highs and lows and give you an identity that is so much more secure than one that's based on your performance in this world.
0: That's so good. Um, I would love to hear kind of just that a story. keep going on with that story, connect us from that moment in your car, um, reading your Bible, reflecting back to that senior year of high school, but then coming on staff with college golf fellowship, tell us kind of some stories of that time period. Yeah.
2: So, um, graduated from Stanford in 1995, didn't get to go to that national championships. As you remember, we lost in a playoff. So had I actually been there, we might've actually won. Who knows? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> my game wasn't quite there, but, uh, but it is, it was a bittersweet ending to that college golf career. Um, but again, I was leaning into the Lord at that time and saying, okay, God, what do you have for me? I don't know what the future holds, but I know you hold the future. And so um, I still tried to play professional golf. I still gave it a whirl. I went to Q school in 96 flailed miserably at the first stage of Q school. Um, and, and honestly, at that time in my life, I was really questioning what was next. And like I said before, I really didn't think I'd ever be in full-time ministry, but I started working at a church while I was playing professional golf, just as a, a volunteer in a high school youth group. And I started getting more excited and more joy from meeting with high school students and sharing the love of christ with them and, and 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 helping them wrestle with those deep questions of life and faith and is the bible real and breaking down some of the misconceptions of what christianity is all about meeting and leading small groups at retreats and and all of a sudden i was like wow god can use me and then i was had opportunities to speak at at different a uh, fellowship of Christian athletes events. And I'd be sharing my testimony and kind of sharing and realizing that God can actually use me in my story. Cause I, I at that point I would, I got to tell you a funny story. I literally hate getting up in front of people. Growing up, I was the most shy kid. I I literally didn't want to give a graduation speech and I was the salutatorian, which means I had to give a graduation speech. And I literally almost purposely got another B so that I didn't have to get up in front of the whole entire class and give a graduation <laughs> speech. That's how fearful I was to get up in front of people. <laughs> But you know what's so cool is that God still has transformed even that. He says, you know what? <clears throat> if you stop fearing man and start fearing me and trust me with your life, I'm going to actually use you even more than you could ever imagine. And so any that, that was a whole other side note of like God pushing me out of my comfort zone to actually learn how to speak in front of people and realize it's not about me. It's about God and actually wanting to trust him and be able to share the, uh the 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 stories and the testimonies that God's given me so anyways he's grown me immensely so as I'm going through all that I'm like I'm getting ministry experience I'm realizing I couldn't wait to leave the golf course and go share Christ with somebody or go lead a Bible study or go on a retreat or go on a mission trip with the high school youth group and all of a sudden I was having all this passion for ministry and for 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 really seeing things that had eternal purposes and eternal Perspective was, which was so much more important to me than, again, chasing this little white golf ball around. It seems so insignificant in the big scope of things. And so at that point, I knew God was like leading me into this transition in my life, but I was still struggling with it. I was still wrestling with this call to ministry. Was I really meant I should be in full time ministry, or can I be that? PGA tour guy who was the Christian who gives God glory. I mean, we loved that, that guy, right? I mean, we love the Scotty Schefflers of the world who go win the masters and able to give God glory for, for, for doing what he's doing. And and God is using him in incredible ways. That's who I thought I was going to be. And I had a dad who literally um, was encouraging me that he was my, my golf instructor growing up. And, and so he wasn't a Christian growing up because I didn't grow up in this Christian family, like I said before, but he had had some health issues and, um, through a lot of difficult things. He had cancer and had a heart attack. And the Lord changed his heart through a lot of difficult things that he was going through. So he became a Christian later in life. And 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 so here we were, you know, wrestling with this, should I keep playing golf or should I go into ministry? And, um, and I'll never forget right after that Q school of 96, I was down in Palm Springs playing golf with my dad, just working on my game, struggling after, you know, missing it at first stage of Q school. And we were about on the 13th hole of, the golf course that we were playing that day, and and he literally wasn't a super deep guy, but he said these words to me that day. He goes, "Steve, you know that I wasn't a great dad growing up. He was an alcoholic before he came to Christ. He had a major struggles with anger. My my mom and he had some huge fights along the way dealing with alcoholism and whatnot. But he goes, when when the Lord got a hold of my heart, seven years before that moment." He goes, he taught me two things over these last seven years. He said, I now know how I'm supposed to love my family the way that I should have been doing it the whole time, which that was like, blow me away. Wow, dad, mm-hmm. I mean, for a dad to give you that. Yeah. And he goes, and the second thing the Lord's taught me is that we are supposed to share our faith with other people and the importance of that. And I was blown away that my dad could actually share those two things with me. And, um, and so, I mean, I just, I'll never forget that moment. And it was even more significant because two weeks after that round of golf, my dad got pneumonia and four days later he died. And, wow. um, and that was just crazy because when my dad passed away, it was like the Lord gave me that gift of that conversation with my dad. And it was like his way of blessing me and saying, Hey, you need to do what God's calling you to do. And if you need to stop playing golf and go into full-time ministry, then then go do it. Um, and, and again, you know, seeing how short life is and seeing how short, um, it's a breath. It's the mist, you know, as the Bible says, and we don't know how long we have in this world. And, and eternity is a lot longer than the 70 or 80 years or only six years that my dad had in this world. And so, um, that was really the, the the defining moment of, of why I ended up going into full-time ministry was realizing, you know what, I want to impact eternity. And, um, and the Lord had really prepared me for that. And, and so I didn't know what that looked like. And, um, I, I, I took six months off of golf, still kind of wrestled with it um i actually spent a year caddying for casey martin who was on the pga tour at that time and um and so that was when he was suing the pga tour and getting used to golf cart and that was just the year of confirmation that the lord was just preparing me for ministry i had a lot of fun got some good stories that i could share about caddying for casey that year but really that was the transition that um that led me to uh to go into full-time ministry and so i took a job at a church because i didn't know what else to do i went to the youth pastor of the church um, it wasn't the youth pastor that led me to the Lord as a new one. And I just said, Hey, I think the Lord's calling me into ministry. What do I do? And they said, Hey, why don't you be a youth intern for us and start a college ministry at our church? And we'll pay you $500 a month. I'm like, wow, that is amazing. I'm going to put my Stanford degree to work and I'm going to get to work for $500 a month. And, uh, and, and honestly, it was incredible. I, uh, I ended up raising more support. So I started to to trust the Lord with that and and was able to pay for my rent and my, my car payment, and my insurance. And, um, and, I, and I worked for this church for two years, and I started going to seminary, because that's what pastors do. They go to seminary to get training to be, a, to be a pastor. I Honestly, I had no idea what this looked like, and, uh, but it was incredible. I literally didn't touch a club for two years. I was just pouring into to, to college students and some high school students at this church, and uh, got the, the college group up and running, and, and um, it was incredible. And I literally, though, I remember praying about halfway through that two-year internship at the church. I'm like, Lord, I played golf for 20 years and now I'm a youth pastor. If that's what you want, I'm fine with that. Um, but if there's something else, is there a way to, to merge the worlds of golf and ministry together? Let me know. And I kid you not, I prayed that prayer. And within a month I got a call from a guy named Rick Massingale, who was the director of college golf fellowship. And I had met him when I was playing college golf. He was the only full-time staff at the time for college golf fellowship. He lived in Dallas, Texas, and we had come across him. He'd hosted a, a, uh, a uh, dinner at a college golf tournament and brought in um, Tom Lehman to speak and share his testimonies on the champion's tour. And I'm like, wow, a ministry to college golfers. This is so cool. But because he was one guy in Dallas, I hardly ever saw him. You know, I saw him a few times in my college golf career, but he called me up and he said, Hey, we're looking to expand our ministry. Would you be interested in potentially working for us? We heard you're working for a church now. And I said, I've already been praying about it. I don't have to pray about it. Yes. (laughs) And, uh, and literally um, I came on staff with college golf fellowship in 2001. And, um, and again, just to think of the ability to take the talents and gifts that God's given me with golf and the passion that he had given me in ministry and to merge those two things together, to be able to take the gospel, this good news that Jesus has for us and introduce other people and take that to the college and professional golfers. It's been an incredible blessing. So almost 23 years I've been sharing the good news with college offers. And it has been amazing.
1: That's amazing. And I remember the first time that I scheduled, like when I was starting the interview process with with CGF and I got on a zoom with Burdick and I remember I thought he was so intimidating. I thought you were just (laughs) the most intimidating. He went to Stanford, he played with Tiger, he's the executive director. And then we talked for like 45 minutes. I was like, I love this
2: guy. This is great.
1: (laughs) He's not as intimidating as I thought. That's Uh, funny. It's so funny. I'm I'm just another sinner in need
2: of a savior, man. That's all we all are.
0: (laughs) I'm grateful I interviewed before Zoom. Right, right. Maybe more nerve-wracking over the phone. Oh, man.
2: Actually, you remember, Toby, the first time I met you, we had a mugshot of Toby (laughs) in one of our brochures for one of our retreats. And he had these chiseled jawline and, like, these broad shoulders in this picture. And I'm like, dang, Toby, you're, like, this huge... Mammoth guy. And then I meet you. I'm like, no, you're not quite that, are you? <laughs>
0: yeah, the <laughs> first <dude. laughs> words. I think the first words you said to me in person were, wow, I thought you were a lot bigger. <laughs> yeah. That was my um that was our my team picture, I guess, from yeah, yeah. The I'm gonna, US. We're,
1: we're gonna <laughs> stitch that into a TikTok and it's gonna everybody's gonna see it. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: But no, Burdick, yeah. I'm so glad that you shared that the way you did because um I mean, that's similar to my story. It's similar to Toby's. It's similar to Pace's. It's similar to a lot of the guys that are on staff with us. And mm-hmm. as guys listen to this podcast, you know, maybe it's going to spur forth, you know, future CGF staffers. you know, to have similar yeah. stories to that just by hearing this because it's not mm-hmm. a, hey, go sign up, you know, give us your resume, whatever. It's the Lord leading you through a series yeah. of events, through mm-hmm. his call to bring you to this place. Um, yeah. And so I'd love it if you'd maybe even expound a little bit more on that from when you started to now and how much mm-hmm. it's grown, how much it's changed. And just yeah. kind of talk about that for a few minutes.
2: So, um, so I came on staff in 2001, and um, Rick Massingale, the the very guy that called me up and 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 hired me, so to speak, before I had come on staff, he had hired a guy named Brad Payne to work for him, and then he hired a guy named Stephen Bunn, and so I was technically the the fourth guy hired. But then as soon as I got hired, Rick actually left and went to work for a different ministry. So really it was just the three of us. It was Brad Payne in the central region, Stephen Bunn in the West or in the East region. And then I was the guy on the West region. And so we, we called ourselves the three amigos. We'd literally just traveled wherever we could to meet with college golf coaches and players and build relationships with them in hopes that we could introduce what a relationship with Jesus was to guys. And, We literally traveled way too much. We were gone away from our families way too much, but we just thought, Hey, as many people and as many teams and as many coaches that we could connect with, the more opportunities we'd be able to share the greatest news ever. And, and so we just hit the road running, and we'd throw these retreats together and we would, you know, Paul Stankowski was one of the first PGA tour players. Some of these guys don't even know who Paul Stankowski is, but he's on the champions tour. He literally built a house specifically to host CGF retreats. And we would have, sometimes upwards of a hundred to a hundred plus guys sleeping on his floors and his bathtubs and his backyard and his front yard. I mean, we just have guys sleeping everywhere and we have a blast. We played golf during the day. We played ping pong, we played wiffle ball, we played football. And then we'd have these great teaching times and have, Um, you know, times to unpack God's word together. And we'd have guys that have never been at church before in their life. And we had guys that grew up going to church and we'd all come together and, and, and we'd share something in common. We shared Jesus in common, or at least the willingness to understand and want to know who Jesus was. We shared golf in common and we shared um, faith. And so here we were, we were trying to figure out uh, what this whole life's about. And so anyways, we had, we had a blast. Three of us just running, hosting retreats, building relationships, and we just got to this place where we were exhausted. We're like, you know, we can't do this alone. We have to ask God to raise up other staff members, and that's the only way we can effectively reach more people across this country. And so we started praying, and there's and, and a verse that we said, pray. Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask him to raise up more workers to send out into the fields because the fields are ripe, but the harvesters are few. And so that was our our, our kind of our, our theme verse of just saying we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to start bringing – more guys onto our staff, and um, so we kind of cast this vision, and uh, and and slowly the Lord started bringing more guys. And uh, so we brought Corky Kemp. You guys know Corky out on the East Coast. He was our fourth guy. And then we hired Marcus Jones in the Central Region. He was our fifth guy. And then we hired a guy named Gunnar avanellis who's no longer with us, but he's now on the board of College Golf Fellowship. But he was our second staff on the West Coast played right at Fresno State. And uh, he was with us for about five or six years. And so we had six guys and we were running strong with six guys. And we're like, man, we doubled our staff in like three years. I mean, this is incredible. (laughs) And, uh, and, and literally we didn't even know where money was going to come from. We were trusting the Lord with all this stuff. In fact, I'll tell you a funny story about that. When Rick Massingale left, it was just the three of us. And we were actually underneath the umbrella of this other ministry called Lynx players international. And, um, the board of directors that oversaw both of those ministries had this great idea. This was literally a year and a half after I came on staff, they said, you know what, we are we have two different visions with these two ministries. We think the best thing to do is to release you three to go start your own ministry. And we'll continue to keep links going. And we said, that's a horrible idea. Like, what do you mean? Like you're just gonna kick us out of the nest and say, go do it yourself. And still to this day, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to both of our ministries. Their ministry's thriving, but we were scared out of our minds. So we were three guys, didn't even know how we were gonna pay the bills the next month. And uh and and literally. Jonathan Bird, who many of you guys know, he's on the PGA Tour still. Jonathan Bird was a huge uh, supporter of College Golf Fellowship. He was, I think, a rookie or maybe a second year on the PGA Tour at the time. And he had been to several retreats. And literally right after this whole thing happened, and we're wondering if we can even pay our bills, get our paycheck next month, Jonathan Bird wins his first PGA Tour event and literally made a huge donation to support our ministry so that we could stay afloat for the next six months to get things going. And, um, you know, you look at kind of things like that, that were defining moments. And what's even crazy about his win is literally he was on the back nine of his final round. I think he was tied for the lead and he blocks his tee shot way right into the trees and he hits a spectator off their shoulder and bounces out of the trees, just barely almost in the fairway. And we come to find out it was his wife. Actually it was his fiance. They weren't even married yet. He hit his fiance in the shoulder. Yes. bounced out of the trees. He goes on to knock it up next to the green, gets it up and down for birdie, and ends up winning the tournament. So, like, we thank his wife now years later of saying, "You actually kept college golf fellowship afloat some of the leanest financial years." And uh, so, we're so thankful to that. So, anyways, with all that being said, the Lord in His providence knew what He was doing to bring the three of us together and then give us this vision and ask the Lord to raise up more workers. So we became six, and then we became nine, and then we became twelve. And now we have 28 guys spread across the country investing relationally with the gospel of jesus christ and really our hope is to have a relational presence on every single golf program in the country and and that there's there's over 1200 golf programs i mean you, you can't do it with 28 guys and uh, and so we're still asking the Lord to raise up more guys, and um, and and now we we partner with a ministry called Global Golf with the women's side of the ministries, and so they're growing and expanding the women's side of college golf as well. Um, and so it's just neat to see what the Lord's done since we were just three amigos you know, twenty three years ago to see where we're at today, and and now with the expansion into professional golf, we are so blessed to be able to 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 teach the fellowship weekly out on the PGA tour and now on the corn Ferry tour and now PGA tour Canada and Asher tours and some of the other mini tours. And so anyways, it's just neat to be able to really minister to the whole world of golf and beyond just college golf.
0: Man, it's it's so awesome just to always uh, hear those origin stories of, of you three being on your own, figuring out what's next. Um, yeah, you know, Jonathan Bird's fiance dives, <laughs> takes one for the team. Yeah. Makes the ball back in play. <laughs> I guess she knew which side of the fairway to be on. The, exactly, the, exactly.
1: The yeah, Jonathan's um, been blocking it. I'm gonna go on this side.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's wrap it up with some uh, what we call rapid fire questions. Um, I'm gonna throw in a new one though for you. Uh, there's only one other guy i think that would get this rapid fire question and that's philip Knowles. but
2: how long have you had the goatee mm. <laughs>
1: good question
2: i couldn't grow facial hair in high school so when i actually started growing facial hair after college I, I i pretty much have had a goatee ever since i was caddying for casey martin that's that's actually i think when i first grew it out it was in 1998 and here's a funny story i've shaved it a couple times since i've been married I've been married for almost 23 years and uh, and when I've shaved it, shaved it, my wife told me she's like, "If you looked like that when I met you, I wouldn't have married you." So I keep it on. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's direct. I like yes, it. I know. She, she's all right. Dream for some, uh, dead or alive. Hmm. I go back to our national championship team. It'd be fun to go with Tiger. Actually, he wasn't on the national championship, but i go Tiger, Nota, and Casey and I. And, and, and funny story on that. Um, so, Casey and I were both Christians in college, Nota and Tiger were not. And so, whenever we'd have matches, we'd call them the Holy Wars and we'd have the uh, the pagans versus the Christians. And so, it would be fun <laughs> to have another Holy War match um, between between t- Casey and I and Nota and, and Tiger.
1: Oh, we need to set that up.
2: It sounds like <laughs> a little, prime time little, opposition.
1: Uh pga tour live situation
2: yeah yeah (laughs) well it's funny too because because nota is about the only one that has a golf game because you know casey unfortunately lost his leg recently and i lost my golf game and and tiger obviously has struggled to to walk the golf course too these days so so it'd be an interesting uh, interesting we definitely have to use golf carts so (laughs) (laughs) that
0: would be amazing tv still like tiger's chances Yeah, Yeah, yeah
1: yeah tiger and Noda have a good situation uh, Steve, favorite meal of the day?
2: Breakfast. Breakfast for any meal. Give me, give me some eggs and bacon any day, of the, any time of the day, and I'm happy.
1: And then, if you could uh, hop in a jet and go take that foursome to play at any course in the world, where are you going to play?
2: Pebble. Can I go back to Pebble? Absolutely. Love it. Yeah. Can I tell another quick story about Pebble? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so Tiger. The year before he comes into Stanford that summer, he wins US Am, but he was playing in the Cal State Am. And I was playing in the same tournament at Pebble. They used to play the Cal State Am at Pebble every that's, year. And so how cool is decent. that? You pay 150 bucks and you get to play Pebble like six times in a row if you win every match, right? So he and I were in opposite brackets and we both made it to the semifinals that summer before Stanford. And so there was a lot of hoopla of like, oh, the two Stanford guys both win, they'll play each other in the finals. And uh, in the first round at Pebble, I'm playing the defending champion, Casey Rhymes, Rhymer. And he uh we're even through six holes, seventh hole, par three on the ocean. Oh yeah. Dunked it for a hole in one. I made a hole in one, seventh hole at Pebble, and uh went one up there and ended up going on to beat him five and four. And uh and so had Tiger and I won our semifinal match, we both would have played each other in the finals. Unfortunately, we both lost semifinal, oh, so we didn't actually get to have that grudge match. So always a, always a bummer. So that's why I want to go back to Pebble to have that grudge match.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. A hole in one, seven Pebble Beach. Does it get any better
0: than that? It It does does not. not. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think you recover as an opponent. (laughs) (laughs) You
1: had them done. Awesome. Well, Burdick, thank you so much uh, for being on. Thank you so much for just all you've meant to this ministry and to so many countless college golfers. Um, Yeah. You're just a blessing. Um, And that was great. Uh, Toby, any final words, final thoughts?
0: No, I just want to reiterate, we are so grateful uh, for all the ministry work you've done. It's awesome to hear, um, you know, someone that's been at the peak of college golf, winning a national championship, talk about the joy of sitting across the table from a, from a guy sharing the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so cool to hear. Um, So thanks for all your, your years of pouring into us as staffers um, and looking forward to the many uh, staffers uh, that are going to come on in years to come. Yep. Thank you. Thank awesome. you
1: very much guys. Yep. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the golf life faith podcast, whether you're a college golfer, a coach, or you just love golf. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, please email us at podcast at college Also check us out on Instagram at college golf fellowship and on Twitter at CGF tweet. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and be on the lookout for the next episode next month. Cheers.